It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name's Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Jonathan Northcroft of the Sunday Times and Dave Kidd of The Sun. It was billed as the season of the supermanagers. Since it's party time at the bridge, we know who's done the best job. Take a bow, Antonio Conte. While Josie poses, Pep preaches, and Arsene patronises, he delivers. Fair enough? Pretty much, Mike. That's good. Good intro. Um, it's been an incredible season for Conte's management, hasn't it? I mean, he has, it's, it's the quality of his work, and it's also the... The volume, the work ethic, I think, that, that, that stood out. I mean, he said in his pretty much his opening press conference the word work 32 times, and, and that's what's been, that's what's laying in store for the Chelsea players. But all managers try and impose effort. What he's been able to do is, is, is take players with them, take big players with them, take players with them who the season before maybe weren't all pulling in the same direction. Um, He's got a talent for getting inside the minds of, of, of top footballers. We saw that with Juventus, and, and I think he's done that with, with Chelsea. Um, on top of that, there's the tactical nous that, 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 he, that he's shown in, in reorganising and drilling his players into, into doing what he wants tactically because he does the same thing as Pep Guardiola. He spends a lot of time on, on positioning, he spends a lot of time on patterns of play, but you can see one manager has made his players get that very, very quickly, and the other is still a work in progress. So there's, there's a lot of things to commend Conte for and, and, and he really feels like a deserving sort of winner of this season. And what's most striking to me, Dave, is that he, he said, look, this isn't my team yet. So that bodes well for next season. In that sense, they're going to show him the money, a salary around about 12 and a half, 13 million, something like that. What do you expect him to do in the transfer market? How will he strengthen this team to make it his team? Yeah, I think he's going to have to buy a new striker because Costa doesn't want to be there and would imagine Lukaku would be an obvious replacement and there's some suggestions that maybe he's not so keen now but um, I, I think Lukaku will go will go there. Um, I think he'll be looking at the wing backs. I think he, he did a good sort of make do and mend job with those. Um, um, Alonso's been very good but Moses the fact you know Moses is, 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 a, is a title winning wing back you know testament <laughs> to how good Conte's work is. If you'd have said that last summer, people would have laughed at you. We never thought of Moses as being a wing back at all. Certainly not a title winning one who's played 30 odd games this season. So I think he'll probably still be looking for an upgrade there. Um, it's really more of a case of, of having more um, strength in depth when you're playing in the Champions League. They haven't necessarily got a lot of that. They haven't needed it this season. There's 
Wenger rightly pointed out, and no one would deny that that, that, that is, a, is a massive boost to you when you're not playing in Europe at all. You've got you've got you know every week free to to, to do stuff on the training ground. Didn't you find that a bit patronising though? <laughs> it was patronising, yeah, but it's true. <laughs> Still, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, Wenger hasn't won it for 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 thirteen years, um, but it, it is true. And and the fact is that the title, the Premier League title, has become incredibly difficult to to retain. It's nine years now since anyone's retained it. It's extraordinary. In no other um, in no other major European league has that has that happened for many many years. You've, you've not had a single team retain it, and the last two champions have, have not had any European football while they've won it. It is the one thing it is. It's not the best league in the world. Mm -hmm. It's possibly not even the most exciting. It is the most physically and mentally grueling. Mm -hmm. um, that that's that's a fact. I think. What, what about the sense of authority that he exudes? Now you were in that Sunday press conference. Yeah. Uh, which was chaos by the sounds of yeah. it, with Conte with his fire extinguisher. Yeah. Can you give us a sense of, what, one, what it was like to be there, and two, mm -hmm. the reaction of the players? He obviously didn't say anything to them, but they knew they could only push him so far. Yeah, it was an extraordinary scene. I mean, it started with the main press conference, which, and the, and the root of it was that this was two hours after full-time. So you had a busload of Chelsea players waiting to get to a party in London, we thought. And Conte was still there two hours after the game, giving his press conference. The door opens, Diego Costa, David Luiz and, and John Terry sort of rushed in and kidnapped him, basically, just hauled him out of his <laughs> chair. Um, Steve Atkins, the Chelsea head of comms, played an absolute blinder by chasing him down the stairs. I think, I think very few press men would have done that. They didn't he, get the idea of a separate Sundays, did they? I they the didn't. No, it's, it's, exactly, exactly. What about the Sundays? Um, and Steve hauled them back. But then you had this amazing scene where the players followed us all back into this cramped little little room. And I suppose it was an insight into what you know Premier League defenders face when they're playing against the nutcase that is Diego Costa because <laughs> I mean he was howling like some sort of animal he was he was doing pull-ups on a, on a bit of scaffolding and then he picked up this fire extinguisher and, and Sam Wallace of the Telegraph rightly sort of said he'll use it you know and you looked at his <laughs> eyes and yeah he, he was going to use it he was going to use it Conte throughout all of this and Conte's got a lot of authority and of course he's had a clash with Diego Costa and won it during the season there was, a, there was a certain indulgence, he, he, he was enjoying the moment, but then one of the players touched his hair and you saw him bristle and, and the line was drawn there. <laughs> um, it was an insight, I, I felt Conte was letting them off the leash a little bit, but uh, you knew that he was still the boss. And you also, what it also told you was how desperate those players were to let their hair down because he's kept them on such a tight leash all season. Mm. Yeah, you said you expect... Costa to go, Dave. Uh, a lot of talk about um, Bakayoko coming in from, from Monaco, Van Dyke from Southampton, you know, strengthening the spine, yeah. really. Um, have Chelsea almost changed in nature now? You know, they used to be the big bad guys, didn't they? Abramovich's mm. money. Has Conte actually made them... Is it now, now acceptable to like Chelsea? It's more likable. Any club without Jose Mourinho, it's more likable. I think <laughs> if he's your if he's your front man, and, and as much as you know, we love him in terms of the copy he might give us. He's a scowling face. Yeah. Um, his dark moods are no longer just dark moods. That's just the permanently the way he is. Um, so when he leaves the building, a place becomes much more likable. Um, I think Abramovich. I wrote something last week saying that he possibly 
deserves a bit more praise than he gets. Yeah, he's actually yeah. been there for 14 years. And he's put a billion pounds longest... in, yeah, whereas exactly. the Glazers have taken a yeah. billion pounds Absolutely, out. Absolutely, yeah. Um, he's been there for 14 years. He's built um, a state-of-the-art training ground. He's building state-of-the-art stadium. He's not a fly-by-night owner. We might you know, wonder where the money came from, etc., etc. But what he's done in, as, a, as a club owner has been really quite excellent. Um, we might not really, we might not like the way he, he, he spent in the early days to get Chelsea to where he is, but they are basically self-sufficient and they are the only club I can see challenging for the Champions League in England in the next few years. They're the, they're the only ones who have done in the last... Well, Manchester City had, had a go under yeah. Pellegrini, but I think Chelsea have always been the most um, convincing English team in Europe and under several different managers. I think, so I think the, cl the club, the infrastructure of the club is actually pretty good. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think they're the big bad wolves that they they were considered. Certainly, maybe under under in the early Abramovich years and the first time Mourinho was there. I think he's evolved Abramovich, hasn't he? I mean, th that crisis point they had of the season when they lost to Liverpool, lost to Arsenal. What was telling was Abramovich appeared at the training ground, but not to sort of threaten, but to support and had lunch with Cost mm. with with Conte. Mm. I think three days in a row, and 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 basically mandated Conte to go and make the changes. That you want now because basically at that time, especially after the Arsenal game, we were all thinking, "Here we go again." We were, and, and and it was put to me from from within Chelsea that maybe seven or eight years ago that would have been it. You yeah. know, in the Scolari or the AVB era, they might not have been given that bit of time. But but I think Abramovich has, has learnt. Don't forget, he's he's personally pretty much chosen Conte. Obviously, we we know that he had this love affair with, with Guardiola and, and wanted him but, but you know he, he's very hands on in terms of transfers and the choosing of managers so his football knowledge in, in bringing Conte in probably has to be, be recognised as well. Mm. You know, the other great event of the weekend was White Hart Lane, last game in 118 years. You were there Dave. Just give a sense of what it was like one to be there and what a ground, an old ground like that, means to people. It, to me, it's almost like the humanity of the game comes out in that situation. Yeah, I think the supporters, um, what I said it about my club's ground, is the one place that you will call home when you're a kid and you may well call it home when you're 75 years old. Um, so when you lose that, even if you're only moving next door, it's gonna, the place is going to look completely different. Um, yeah, to be clear, that's Craven Cottage for you, isn't it? For, for me, yeah. But, <laughs> but if we ever left, it would, it would be you know, incredibly sad, a real wrench. I, I understood people were saying, some people were saying, oh, they're only moving next door, what's all the big deal? But it's a complete, going to be a completely different environment. Um, the character of that place is fantastic. I was lucky enough to be there, say, the night uh, Gareth Bale's night against Inter Milan. It's one of the best atmospheres I've known in an English football ground. Um, yesterday they did it really well. They, um, it was, it, you compare that to the shambles at West Ham a year ago when, when they left Upton Park, the violence outside, the utter shambles inside, the fact it was an hour late, the classiness of Tottenham shone through, which West Ham said a lot about people who, who run that club, I think, to be honest. Um, so yeah, I thought I thought it was a, a, a terrific send off yesterday. There was there was a half an hour interval where people got on the pitch and a lot of them didn't want to come off, so it wasn't entirely smooth. But once they had all got off the pitch, I don't think it was much later than scheduled. Um, the, the the parade of legends. It was done in a quite an understated sort of mm. way, but really no tax, well. No taxes anywhere. No, absolutely no real gimmicks. There was a, a gospel <laughs> choir which kind of spoke of mm. the you know the people <clears throat> who actually live around uh, around in, in Tottenham these days. Um, you know, it was a large black community and, and, and they were represented by this wonderful gospel choir singing the Tottenham anthems, mm. uh, Glory, mm. Glory, Tottenham, Osborne, etc. And that, that was a fantastic touch. And, but just these, this parade of, of sort of 
four, I think it was 48 um, legendary players of the last, uh, over the, you know, going back to the double winning team of 61, mm. um, just coming out one by one. And, and I thought it was, a, it was an excellent send off. Yeah, those sort of occasions almost telescope time, don't they? You know, mm. I, I looked at that and you know, I remember, the f I'm old enough to remember, the first year that I was a, uh, a football writer on the Telegraph, I covered the 1984 UEFA Cup final. And it was my first on deadline, you know, penalties type of event. And I can remember leaving the ground that night when uh, Steve Perryman was on the balcony showing, showing the, the cup off to people who basically blocked Tottenham High Road. And I remember that like it was yesterday. What are your memories of it, of that ground? Well, I mean, as, as a Scot um, and as an Aberdeen supporter, my, my first sort of link with Spurs is really Stevie Archibald. And, and watching this place, that team that they had, which was very sort of boisterous and attractive team, um, a club that wasn't hard to fall in love with a little bit from afar. And, and then coming down to England, I, I would say there's probably three grounds that really struck me as, as you, you smelt the history and, and you felt you were going into you know, a kind of timeless world and, and, and it'd be Goodison, Villa Park and, and, and White Hart Lane for sure. Um, and I think it's a, I, I, every time I've been there, I think there's always been some sort of legend on the pitch at half time. Mm. So I think it's a club that, that that's the other th impression I always get of Spurs, a club that's very good at knowing its, its history. Uh, and in terms of specific games, it's, a, it's probably a funny one, but the, the two games this season that I went to back-to-back, -to -back, two 4-0 wins, uh, Watford and Bournemouth, are not hugely significant games, but I think what I'll take away as a memory will be that young team, that team in progress, with the, the cranes in the background building the new stadium, playing the sort of football that Spurs are playing now. It, really uplifting experience and a feeling that you were seeing both you know the the, the past and, and and the future sort of coming together i mean that probably be th those two games back to back will probably be my high point of the whole season to be honest mm. you're talking of legends dave you know jimmy Greaves very well he couldn't attend yesterday because of health issues what do you think he would have made of that occasion i think he loved it actually i think i saw a gym last week and i think he he would like to have gone. It's quite difficult physically, and, and sort of. I think he, they actually showed him round um, the ground for one last time, you know, um, about a month ago. Um, I was actually surprised Jim went simply because even when he was well, um, he, he wasn't a great goer of. He wasn't a great watcher of football matches. Really, he, he rarely went to Spurs when he was well. Rarely went to Chelsea either. Um, so I was surprised, pleasantly surprised that he went and he really thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I think there was just a feeling that, that yesterday would have been too much for him. It's not an easy place to get in or out of for mm. any of us, is it, Well Hart Lane? And that's one thing that, that they're not going to change. Um, they're, there's going to be twice as many people in, in the new stadium and just as bad transport links. So um, that's going to be a nightmare. <laughs> but anyway, but Jim, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> now Jim was one of the great A-list legends of, the, of that football club and, and you know... Um, until very, very recently, was the highest goal scorer in any top league, any of the top five leagues in Europe of all time. Mm. You know, he was that great a, a footballer, and, and it's easy to forget that. But Spurs, as you say, they do keep in touch with legends very well. Um, the fact that Jim didn't go to Spurs was because Jim didn't particularly want to go to Spurs for many years. It, it wasn't a case of Spurs not, not looking after Jim at all. Mm. The other absentee was Gazza. Yeah. He, he issued a statement, and it, it was really poignant. You know, he yeah. said, I wish I hated football because then I wouldn't miss it so much. Yeah, Gaza in a way represents that 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 sort of dread, that 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 thing that all footballers confront when they 
when they stop playing, um, there's, they, they all tell you there's nothing to replace it. Even the ones that become really successful managers tell you that all they're really doing is, is trying to recapture part of what they had as a player. And the, 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 the contrast between Gaza and the joy that he provided and, and, and indulged in on the pitch and then the Gaza post football is pretty symbolic of, of how difficult it is, I think, for, for ex-footballers and particularly somebody like Gaza who, who, you know, a fairly damaged person in some ways and, and, and football was so much a part of his life. Um, uh, you feel very sad, but in, in, a, in a sense, um, you know, it, times like these are when you remember, you should remember Paul Gascoigne at his absolute peak, and, and when you think of Spurs and you know White Hart Lane, he's indelibly linked with that, of course. The, and the crowd yesterday sang yeah. his name twice at yeah. length, once being actually during the parade. I think it was the only name that they actually sang. Due, yeah. mm. but as, you know, he was the sort of absentee that they that they were clearly sorely missed by them all, and they wanted to commemorate him. So. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Right. If we look to the future, how good can this Tottenham team be? Third, second? Next season first? Yeah, I'm, I'm not so sure. I think if, if, they, if they were still at White Hart Lane, I would back them to win the title. At Wembley, I think they struggled to make the top four. And I think these trend, this, is, this has come at the wrong time for Tottenham. There's not much you can do about it, but they've got a team that is just hitting peak and could win the league if they had a home ground. They won 17 games in a row at that ground. Mm. They won 17 out of their 19 league games. They won 17 in a row in all competitions there. At Wembley, their record's been appalling. It's never going to be the same. That, that, it's such an atmospheric, tight ground. Wembley couldn't be any more different. We, yeah, they could be playing in front of Stoke on Tuesday night in front of uh, you know, a half-empty stadium, sadly. That's going to make a big difference. Um, I, I, I wonder whether... A season in reverse, which I think next season will be, is going to tempt players such as perhaps even Kane and Ali mm. to move away. It's very, really sad. I'd love to see Spurs stay there at White Hart Lane for another season and, and win the league there. That would be great to see as a neutral. I think it would be great. I, I, and I love watching that team. It's, it's, a really, it's been really brilliantly put together by mm. Pochettino. Um, but and the, and the other problem is that Pochettino is a player, he's a manager who, who loves working with young players and mm. doesn't necessarily get on so well with senior players and the problems he's had with Walker in recent months and Walker will be leaving in the summer is because uh, he doesn't particularly like players with a bigger voice, players who, who challenge him more in the dressing room. He likes working with young players um, and I think we'll see you know, in the years to come, that if Pochettino sticks around, that might be more mm. challenging for an Ali or a Kane when they become more mature. Mm -hmm. Bigger, bigger men, bigger voices in the dressing room. Across North London, uh, Arsene Wenger is now telling us that it's not going to be a disaster if they don't make the top four. Discuss. Well, <laughs> I suppose what we'll at least see is, is this kind of um, dependency Arsenal have got on, on Champions League money and that kind of comfort zone being broken and we'll see if it galvanises that. Yeah. that do you expect that, Liverpool to, to do the formalities against Middlesbrough? I do. In, in fact, looking at the fixtures now, I'd say City are more vulnerable than, than Liverpool. If City just, who struggled against Leicester and if they if they draw on against West Brom, it's not likely, I, I, I wouldn't, bet, I get, wouldn't bet on it, but I just think they're actually probably more vulnerable. Um, than, but, but Arsenal, I mean, I was there at the weekend, they were... They were everything you'd want in a team. You know, they they, they they were fantastic going forward, but they were also pretty good at the back. They they outmuscled Stoke, and you thought, what have you been doing all season? Where's this been? Mm -hmm. um, and Wenger 
got the bit between his teeth again because he's, he's, he's got his team in the right direction. But it's, it's so late. And, and what does it actually mean when it's, they've just repeated the pattern of, of previous seasons? Um, I, I think out with the, the whole top four question, what they really need to do, irrespective of, of whether Wenger stays another season or not, is actually get some proper direction in that football club again. And the most alarming thing for me is, is his resistance to a, a director of football because I'd have thought if there's one football club that is crying out for a director of football, you know, it's a club where the transfers haven't been good enough mm. and where they've got a huge decision in terms of replacing a coach looming on the horizon. Surely somebody has to come in and, and plan that. Uh, and, and, and Wenger is, is very selfish to resist that, I think. Mm. Do you expect him, you know, Lekeeper talking about him signing a one-year contract? which is almost a, a way to shove him out the door, it seems to me. Are you a, do you think that Wenger will win his power struggle that's going on there? I'm not sure if there is much of a power struggle, really. <laughs> I, I think Wenger does what, whatever the hell he likes, um, always has yeah. done and always will do. Um, they're, they're an extremely good team when there's no pressure on yeah. That's exactly what they've shown. When there's no pressure, they're a very technically very, very gifted team. When there's any pressure on, they are... Remarkably soft. <laughs> Going to use stronger language now. In that sense, is Sanchez signing a, a new contract almost as important, if not more important, than Wenger signing one? Yeah, possibly. Um, there's a lot of talk about Sanchez being a slightly disruptive influence. I think he's only, from what I gather, only a disruptive influence because he's got a bit more about him and he's more happy to. You know, he, he's less happy. When things aren't going well, he's not he's not in the comfort. He doesn't like being in a comfort zone, and too many of those players do, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, Sanchez, in terms of his attitude and, and his talent, I, I, you know, I think he's a, it'd be massive for Arsenal. Mm. Um, you mentioned City, Jonathan. Um, a nearly season, or worse than that? I think it, it has to be seen uh, where they are next season because this could be sold as a transitional season, and that's what. Which yeah. it will be, won't it? <laughs> Either way, yeah. But I think what Pep Guardiola hopes is that this was the season where they, they, you know, they made the bridge from one set of players, one set of playing philosophies to to the to his era, and and that you know it, we'll see this great team next season. I'm not I'm not entirely so sure because we spoke about Conte earlier and how quickly he's imposed his ideas and how those ideas have actually matched up with what you need in English football pretty well. We haven't. We're not quite sure whether that's the case with, with, with Guardiola. I'd say it's been a deeply disappointing season, however transitionally wants to say they are, because really uh, to still be scrabbling around to get in the top four, to have flopped in that cup semi-final against Arsenal, mm. for me that was that was pretty unforgivable. And, and Champions League campaign was OK, but but no more than that. It, it, it's it's hard to really make any great claims about this, this, this City season, to be quite honest. Other than to say, I think Gabriel Jesus they found a very, very good player that they, and, and Leroy Sané is a good signing. So you can see a, a future forward line, but a lot of, else, lot of work to do elsewhere. Mm, yeah, Pep says, you know, we're the most creative team in the Premier League. I'm not quite sure about that, you? No, not really. No, <laughs> quite frankly, it's you know, it's all so about what? it's all about balance, isn't it? And and they haven't got a defence. And yeah. it was pretty obvious last summer that they didn't have a defence that was fit for purpose. And um, if it isn't entirely new back four, or back five, including the keeper, are they going to gel immediately and win the title next season? I don't think so. Um, I'm not convinced. I've always been sort of sceptical about Guardiola, and I, 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 you know, I don't really understand why what he did 
Barcelona and Bayern Munich necessarily made him a messiah. Um, he inherited some very, very good players. He did well, at, you know, extremely well to mould what he moulded at Barcelona, and they were the greatest club team I'd ever seen. But he inherited Messi, Xavi, Iniesta, and I don't see how you can compare it. So I was always sceptical. Just want, I wanted to be convinced, and I haven't seen anything this season that's convinced me that he is a genius. Mm. What do you think about these clubs that almost portray themselves as dynasties? Yeah. <laughs> Chelsea, you've got an academy which, frankly, is very you know, mm. producing players for other clubs. Mm. At City, you've got a £200 million yeah. academy. You've got a global network of clubs. But what does that mean? Exactly, Mike. I mean, you know, I know you've written a lot about this, but it, it, to me it shows how youth, the youth side of football has become an industry in itself and not really serving the, the, the purpose that it, that, that it should serve, which is, you know, feeding young talents up the, up the chain into first-team football and, and developing them as footballers properly and, and giving them opportunities. It seems to me that City and Chelsea are two incredibly rich football clubs whose youth departments have been told to go away and become the best youth departments you can be, win lots of stuff. So they've gone and done that. They've spent a lot of money on it. But it doesn't match up with the first team at those football clubs and it doesn't match up with any any particular long-term ethos or planning. Um, and really, I haven't seen youth development work anywhere where it's not all pulled together by a, a manager that truly believes in it and, and maybe a, a club that institutionally believes in it. So you think of United under Ferguson and what Pochettino is doing at, at Tottenham now. Until clubs do that, then to me it's slightly meaningless how many youth cups you win. Um, you know, it, it's players in the first team. That, that, that's what it's about. Mm. In that sense, what do you think is going on at Liverpool, Dave? You know, if we say, you know, do you accept that they're probably going to finish fourth? Is that good enough for Klopp this season? And what about the long-term future of the club? You know, he, he, he is channeling Shankly whenever he can, <laughs> if you like, uh, talking about the importance of youth development. You know, Trent Ar Ar Alexander-Arnold, um, Woodburn's been in there, although he's not done that great. What about Liverpool? Where are they at the moment? I think they've possibly overachieved by reaching top four. If you compare them to where everyone else, the rest of the top six were, I. I I think they've done well. I don't think they've got a, a, a squad as strong as any of the other no. five at the top. So I think he's I think he's overachieved. Um, I don't see, you know, where they're going in terms of building a title-winning team. I don't see that. I think they'll struggle unless they invest seriously and very well. It's not just a case of how much you spend. Unless they recruit very very well, I think they're going to struggle fighting on two fronts. So remember the last time. They were in the Champions League. They sort of waved the white flag at Real Madrid and played the yeah. reserves in the Bernabeu, which was just seemed yeah. to mm. trash the club's traditions. Yeah, the really, bench, it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was a real reserve team, wasn't it? In in the Bernabeu, it was just just looked terrible, didn't it? And I think that was because Rogers didn't think he had a strong enough squad to to compete on both fronts. And um, I don't think much has changed in in that sense, really. I don't get the impression they have that. Strength in depth. Um, they've, they've got some. They've got some very exciting attacking players, but I still think they need a lot. Need to do a lot defensively. Mm. What about Coutinho? How 
good could he be, Johnny? You know, he's playing in that deeper yeah. role, that sort of number eight role, isn't he? I've always preferred him in that role, actually. I mean, who, who am I? But but I, I I think I think he makes a lot of sense. He's such a fantastic passer of the ball. Nits the play. Pass for the first goal against yeah. West Ham was brilliant, wasn't Sensational. it? Sensational. And and I think you want him on the ball facing play. Uh, I think his defensive work's improved an awful lot since he came to England. So he is capable of doing more the defensive side of of, of, of the game. Um, but I, 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 I think as a number eight, he makes he makes perfect sense. Um, he's committed to Liverpool, which is what, despite all the Barcelona rumours. Yeah, I th I th yeah, he is. He, he, he is. Um, I think that says a lot for him. Um, it also helps though when he's, you've got a really top striker to to pair his passing ability with. And I thought what the West Ham game did again for Liverpool was gave them this tantalising glimpse of Daniel Sturridge. And you know, Dave's right to say that they're, that they're quite a long way from a title-winning team. If you're looking at building blocks, a striker of that ability mm. is something any title-winning team would, would want to have. And one of the big challenges or questions for Klopp must be, you know, can you have another go at Daniel Sturridge? Can you maybe try and get him on the pitch every week and, and centre of your plans. Yeah. 21 goals in the Premier League three years ago. Since then, he's started 24 matches out of 113. That tells you everything, doesn't it? Statistic, isn't it? It really is. He's, he's the most gifted, naturally gifted English striker yeah. since sort of Lineker, at least, I thought. Yeah. Um, he, as, as a pure finisher, you know, his, his ability, his technique is outstanding. Um, and, you know, we all remember sort of Anfield Spring. 2014, it's three years ago now, and he was outstanding mm. in a great forward line, obviously with uh, Sterling and Suarez. But it, it, yeah, you put, you put a fully fit Sturridge uh, in, in that Liverpool side now, 38 games a season, and, and they were a lot closer to winning a title. <laughs> but you just don't see it, do you? We, we don't see it. We hear an awful lot about whether there's a certain mental aspect. We know that there are a lot of footballers who will play through the pain barrier, and other players who, who are less able to not willing to but able to it's just a it's just a, it's just a, a fact of life i think that some players mm. i don't think it's necessarily a criticism but clearly Sturridge is not one of those players who who is willing to play through serious pain and a lot of players do and a lot of players have done and you know frank lampard played <laughs> every game for eight years because he had the ability to to play with pain and Sturridge doesn't have that and, and probably gareth bale doesn't have that and there's, 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 there's several players you hear about and, and, mm. It's sad. It's sad because it's sad for England as well because you know he's mm. a tremendous, tremendous footballer when he's fully fit. Mm. Talking of sadness in England and Manchester United, Wayne Rooney. Yeah. <clears throat> what about his personal and professional situation at the moment? It seems very precarious on both on both fronts. I agree, and I think that that both should be at the forefront rather than money when he makes his decision this summer because I think he will leave United. Um, I think he should leave United. I think he's wasting his time if he if he if he doesn't, um, and I, I think they they do go hand in hand like they do with a lot of footballers. But I think with Wayne in particular, you can see it on the pitch. You can see him physically when he's playing right. He tends to be at a point where he's everything's going right in the background. He's he's in the right physical shape. He's living right. So I think uh, what he needs is is a football challenge that's going to inspire him and 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 inspire him not just on the pitch but you know to to be as focused and, and, and as proper as you should be off it. And, and I don't think going to China is going to be the answer to all of that. Uh, I, I, I rather think uh, it has to be, you know, the, the Everton option or uh, put to, I think Chris Waddle put this forward in midweek, you know, it'd be great to see someone like him go to Italy, for example, where 
you know, if you can adapt the lifestyle. Um, they've got a great way of getting older players to perform throughout their 30s and maybe with that slightly lesser pace to the game then, then Wayne could flourish. But um, I, 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 I hope this is a, a happy resolution to the, the career and, and the next couple of years aren't as difficult as this one or more difficult than this one's been for Wayne already. Mm. Where do you see United in, in all this, Dave? You know, we've talked about Jose Mourinho. Well, we always talk about Jose Mourinho, don't we? He is going to get away, it seems, with fielding weakened sides against Southampton and Palace. Is he right to almost denigrate the league and by pushing it so far in the background uh, and concentrating on Europa League? I don't think he's necessarily wrong. I can understand why he's done it and, and he'll be proved right as long as they beat Ajax. But it's, 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 mm. a, it's, a, it's a risk because, you know, you get a player sent off in the first five minutes and, you, you know, they could lose to Ajax anyway. Ajax are a very gifted young team, but United are strong favourites to win it. They probably will win it, and then he's got away with it. Uh, I don't, I, I don't have any great problem with that. What I do have the problem is, is why he keeps moaning about the fact he's got to, you know, does he, does he think that the league should yeah. just say you don't have to fulfil these yeah, fixtures? Well, actually, what's he actually moaning about? Yeah, what's he want? He's moaning yeah. for the sake of moaning. I, I don't. Under, what's, what's he actually want? Yeah. Mm. Um, I, what, you know, he's been going on about kickoff times all season. I've been trying to work out when, when he actually wants to kick off games. Maybe at eight a.m., which is typically <laughs> exactly. Three and a half days after his last match, and three and a half days before the next one, He's been, he moans for the sake of moaning all the time. I'm yeah, quite sure and does his attitude does it permeate his team? Because you know, I thought in that that um, and, um, the um, Celta Vigo game, yeah. fear permeated that yeah. performance, and they could quite easily have gone out. They are a very odd mix of of fear and and actual mental strength. If you think about it, they're, they're very like Jose himself. That team. I mean, they, they've ground their way. To, to two cup finals, I can't. I was trying to remember particular performances along the way in either of those cup runs. I was trying to remember particular form performances in that 25 game unbeaten run. You can't. Mm. The team of grinders. You have to say he has brought mental strength, but he's also brought this sort of caution and negativity. And does it mean? Does it matter that he doesn't live up to the tradition of the club, the culture of the club? I think long term it really matters. I think at the moment. And uh, okay, United yeah. fallen so far away from where they, they they needed to be that if you're talking about a hierarchy of need, then then suddenly you know just achieving something became top of the list rather than anything else. Style and tradition, but over time, style and tradition become absolutely essential again. So those are questions for him to answer. And, and to be fair, it's not his team yet, and we'll see where. And I and I did feel that his Chelsea team played some very good football. And I know he's not always been given credit for playing good football, but I think Mourinho teams are capable of doing that. So let's let's see where he is in a, in a year's time. But you know, he's trying to present this as a as some kind of heroic season. This has been a terrible season for Manchester United. I think they win the Europa League, they've got away with yeah, it. Yeah, I think I quite, I quite like the fact that he goes for trophies rather than fourth place. Yeah. and that's, yeah. that's always been these. You know, it sounds a bit simplistic, but he actually likes winning trophies. And Wenger's not that bothered, is he? Wenger's <laughs> much bothered about finishing fourth. Yeah. yeah. What about? Um, Everton, let's look at them very briefly. Uh, and I agree with you that it could be a perfect place for Rooney to end yeah. up. Um, Ross Barkley, you know, he's got this ultimatum. Sign or sayonara, see you later. Yeah. What do you think will happen there? And does he deserve a new contract at that club? Shouldn't he look around and think, I need to reinvent myself somewhere? He does. I think Koeman, I think what the saga is about is Cumin knows he's pretty much going to go, and he's taken control of it by calling him out. And, and you know he's a local boy. You're supposed to love the club. Are you going to sign or not? And I don't think Cumin can lose by 
by doing that. Uh, I think what Ross Bartley, which is what, what, what you're alluding to, Mike, is, is he should be focused on developing himself. And I don't think he has developed enough as a footballer in the last couple of years. So whether he stays or goes, he's got to put some work in as a footballer to unlock all of that talent. Mm. Let's look at the bottom end of the table and relegation. David Moyes, it seems to me that even since that relegation was confirmed, the belief and almost the will has been draining out of him at Sunderland. Do you think he deserves to keep his job or do you think he will be around next season? I, I can't see him chain, turning that club around. It's going to be a hell of a job, I think. And he doesn't, he seems to be a man, Johnny knows more a lot better than mm. I do. But um, he just seems like a man who's, who's, who's had the sort of joy and the, and the lifeblood drained out of him. It's like he needs a rest mm. and to come back reinvigorated, you know, maybe a year down the line or something because he went in there. I don't know why he took the job. He seemed yeah. convinced they were going to go down anyway. And let's face it, they have stayed up every year. You know, they, they found a way of staying up five years in a row. He seemed to go in there and, and seemed to talk it, talk it down from from the very from the word go. I couldn't quite understand that. Um, they were terrible to watch when I, ever I saw them this season. They really just didn't ever look like scoring goals. The whole place was, you know, the, this thing about this this nickname of is it the energy vampire or something mm. they've mm. called him. Uh, but the whole the whole ground, you know, there is there are particular specific actual travel problems going in and out of stadium alike at the moment but the place you know empties on the hour when they're two nil down and it's just the most dispiriting place to watch Premier League football I don't think we'll be seeing Premier League football there again whoever the manager is for, for a long while mm. yeah, I mean that, that, that hasn't been backed particularly well by the owner the, the club was in a bit of a, <coughs> yeah. a mess you know, lots of bad contracts given to players when he, when he mm. arrived but uh, you know I, I think it is fair to say that, that since having the Manchester United job I think He's struggled for maybe that that fire and that motivation that's that made him such a great manager in in, in the first place. And and psychologically, you can understand that you've had yeah. the job of your lifetime. You've had your dream job. You you feel you weren't given a decent crack at it. Yeah. Uh, and and everything else since then uh, maybe has felt a little bit, you know, anticlimactic. But David does need to to, to rediscover that that spark. I think he's, he will stay if he wants to. I'm not just I'm not sure if he's going to want to, and, and um, it's going to be, as Dave said, masterminding that very tough job that now lies ahead at Sunderland. Maybe maybe that's for someone else. Mm. And it's yeah, as you said, Dave, it's probably a two, three, four, five-year job. You get that know? feeling, don't you? You don't feel yeah. like Newcastle last season where you thought they'd probably win, you know, go down and win the league. That seems like a squad that that needs a major clear out and yeah. a complete rebuild, and and as the whole energy around that club seems wrong. The, man, the owner wants out, yeah. doesn't he? Yeah, the owner's wanted out for a while now. That, that's, yeah. the, that's the main problem until until that's solved. Until a, a new owner comes in who wants to be positive and build for the future, then it's, it's difficult to see them. Is it up. any coincidence, Dave, that you could almost say the same thing about Hull City? You've gone down, yeah. You know, despite um, you know, uh, Silver's you know, best efforts mm. as the manager, and he's impressed everyone. Yeah. Money's uncertain. Players are going to have to go. Mm. The owner's reviled by the fans, yeah. and he wants to get rid. Rightfully so, because he's, you know, they, they, they've shown complete contempt towards those supporters in terms of the, the naming of the club, and they won't even use the name of the club in club merchandising. It's extraordinary, <laughs> yeah. extraordinary car crash of a club. Um, the, last summer at Hull City was uh, just a sort of 
sort of black comedy. It was extraordinary. There were no players there. I'd just been promoted to the Premier League and there were, there were no players. Were, um, I think Phelan did a pretty good job just to, to keep them vaguely <laughs> yeah. afloat and give them a chance, you know. Of course, Silva's done well. And it actually showed a little bit of a willing on their behalf to bring him in and make a quite a bold appointment for someone that we didn't know an awful lot about. Maybe I didn't. Uh, and, and, and he's come in and at least, you know, got a good run of home results together. The thing with Silver is he's suddenly the favour of the month, but in the, in the mm. two key games, Sunderland mm. at home, Palace away, his team hasn't shown up. Mm. So there still should be question marks over him. Mm. What about Sam Allardyce? Has he answered a few questions about himself yet again? Yeah, he has. And with, you know, we're talking about bouncing back. He, he, he has certainly done what, what David Moyes didn't do. You know, he's had his dream job. He's had that taken away from him. He was in a dark place after losing that England mm. job. Um, but there is something... Uh, because you can see it in Sam as a person. There's something very resilient about him, and and I think he's turned that disappointment into a positive energy. He's really enjoyed showing us all, you know, what Sam Allardyce can do again, and he's he's, he's infected the club with that. And the, and the impressive thing from a management point of view for me is if you look at that first six or seven games, results didn't actually change the way that the Palace wanted them to. He not only kept his nerve, but I think it took that period of time because what he was doing was taking the time to re-engineer re the team to be a Sam Allardyce team, um, laying the groundwork. And, and that's proper coaching. That's not just sort of trying quick fix stuff. Um, and, it, and, he, and he's made it work for him. But let's not forget, Dave, that he, out of all managers, he spent the most in January. Yeah, he didn't. Sacco was a very good signing, particularly, wasn't he, um, as well? Um, I was 17th when he when he went in, and then they were still 16th maybe before before yesterday's mm -hmm. game. And it's whole. Um, he, he did well. He did. did we always did. It wasn't a miracle. Um, they've got very good players there. They shouldn't yeah. have been as low as they were. They've got a lot of very good and very expensive players at that, at that club, but they shouldn't have been anywhere near the bottom three. I don't. Do you think, think he can build a club? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think he can build it to a certain level. If you ever get to a point where you need imagination mm. and flair, and you need to become more expansive, and I don't think he has got that. Um, I think he. I think he. I don't think he surprised anyone at all. I think he had anything to prove, and he hasn't <laughs> proved anything since he went there. He's done what he always does, which is, you know, structure a structure a team very well, and, and, and win enough games to, to keep them clear of relegation. That, that, that's what Sam does, and that's and, what he will continue to do. And that's what Paul Clement has done. Do you yeah. think he deserves a bit more credit than he's received so far? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I see he's been nominated for Premier League Manager of the Year among five or six, and, and that's that's absolutely right because he's done a better job than Silva, you have to say, because he's, 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 his mission's accomplished and he's had less praise. Um, he's held his nerve because they, they, they really wobbled Swansea. He's made good coaching decisions, putting um, Leon Britton back in the centre of that team, getting... Maybe adapting his own football philosophy to get the best out of Lorente, playing a bit more direct to him. I thought Tom Carroll was an excellent signing. There's, there's a lot of good stuff that's, that's gone on there. And, you know, he's, he's, he's come from, from Bayern Munich to, to go and do that. He's, he's, got, his, he's got his hands dirty and, 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 and pulled it off. A um, lot of respect for him, and it won't be long before he's getting talked about for bigger jobs, I don't think. Mm. Well, do you think that British managers have an inbuilt sort of disadvantaged... It's easy to go out and get uh, a foreign coach, perhaps you know, with a greater global reputation, and there's that element of almost mystery about it. There's some of that, but I also think that English coaches have got to take their opportunities when they get them, mm -hmm. and Clement's done that, and he, he could be a real sort of standard bearer because very few have in recent years. You know, there's this, 
the championship playoffs, there's four foreign managers there who've come in and taken over failing clubs and, and transformed them completely, those teams, uh, Fulham, Sheffield Wednesday, Huddersfield and Reading. Um, teams at the bottom half have been transformed by a guy who's come in mm. and, 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 and done a great job. Clement, um, I think it shows that sometimes in England we don't like to look at people who haven't been uh, big-name players. Mm -hmm. That's the problem mm -hmm. we've often had in, Engl in English coaching, um, is that, you know, Clement was a school teacher and he was in Fulham's Youth Academy. He's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a career coach. I know he's got, you know, he had a footballing father and a footballing brother. He had football in his blood. And, but uh, he's not, a, he wasn't a professional footballer. And, and, it, and it's, it's quite difficult, you know, compared to in other countries where, say, say Mourinho and Villas-Boas and people in Portugal came through from having never, never played professionally. It, there's, there's, tended to be a real glass ceiling for, for Englishmen who, who haven't played the game at any level. And Clement could be a real mm. standard bearer for those, actually. And because they're, they're completely different skill sets, playing the game and, and coaching. There's no mm. need, you know, there's no reason why you should, almost, almost no reason at all, apart from the show us your medals kind of thing. If you can get over that with a bunch of players, mm. you say, well, I haven't got any medals, but actually I'm a very good coach. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, management is a, a fashion business. <clears throat> There will be changes this summer. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interestingly, Thomas Tuchel seems to have mm. fallen out of love with Borussia mm. Dortmund. Do you expect him, him to play in a Premier League market somewhere? Soon. Maybe maybe not quite this year. And he's beloved of the, the hipsters, shall we say. I mean, they, 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 they rate him very highly. I don't know enough, to be quite honest. I don't, I'm not afraid to say that. From the outside, he looks like he's finished third to behind Red Bull Leipzig. So... It makes me wonder, you know, with, with one of the top two clubs in Germany, it makes me wonder exactly how good he is. Plays mm. nice football, but does he win stuff? That said, he's fashionable. He is anointed by Guardiola as one of his own sort of, you know, from his school, and that will count for something. And uh, he probably will get a, a decent Premier League job at some point. Maybe, As I say, maybe not next year, but, but probably fairly soon. Mm. Do you expect to see Claudio Ranieri back? You know, there's a lot of talk about maybe going to Watford. Yeah, Watford sounds like one that... Mm. West Ham, maybe. You can see the Italian owners, he's got, obviously got a great pedigree <laughs> in, in the Premier League. Um, I think West Ham will, will stick with Billich, actually. They just they do tend to uh, stick with their managers. Um, uh, the Golden Sullivan, uh, Birmingham and at West Ham, they don't, they're not real great sackers mm. of managers. And, you know, he's done, I think, a pretty decent job, all in all, Wonder whether he might be slightly soft on his players at the time. He's very popular with players. That's not always always a good sign when they're that popular because uh, you get the impression that like like about Liverpool game that they've just slack they've just slackened off, haven't they? They've they've they played really well for their cup final against Spurs, won won that, and then so. I but I still tend to think my gut feeling is they'll still stick with with Billich. Yeah. Ranieri for Watford would be would probably be a better mm. fit, maybe more likely. Well, what about Southampton? It was Marco Who, but now everyone wants a piece of silver. I'd see him at Southampton, you know. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.